And this is USL Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The only show entirely dedicated to the USL. And welcome to USL Radio. Not the Two Saltudes anymore, although we are attached to the Two Saltudes podcast. We are kind of affiliated with it. I am Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Kevin Laramie in Montreal. We are starting another podcast, Kevin. We are USL Radio, the only show entirely dedicated to the coverage of the USL. Absolutely. Um, as Kevin just said, this show will be a USL show. Our other shows, uh, well, we have Five Rings, which is a completely different animal. But uh, our other show, Two Solitudes, is a MLS podcast with a Canadian soccer focus and perspective. This is a USL podcast. We're, we're a Canadians that follow Canadian teams and cover Canadian teams, but we're not going to focus only in on the Canadian teams. We are going to cover the league as a whole because there's a gap in the coverage. And I noticed this uh, in the offseason when I was preparing for TFC2. And who better to do it than two guys that can do podcasts in their sleep and probably have. Exactly. We're bringing our experience of covering soccer in Canada and covering amateur sports on a weekly and bi-weekly basis to the USL with... Uh, coverage on USL Radio, of course, but as well with articles on Canadian Soccer News. So the best place to get your coverage, if you are a USL fan across North America, is on Canadian Soccer News and on USL Radio. And in terms of your written stuff, real quickly, CSN will have amped up coverage. Right now, if you look at the front page of Canadian Soccer News, uh, it's almost entirely USL at the moment. The, there's no, well, TFC didn't play this weekend, so there's no TFC news on there. Uh, it's It's Team Montreal. Uh, Kevin covered the FC Montreal Ottawa scrimmage game. Uh, I covered TFC too. There's lots of good information there. Michael out in Vancouver is doing a lot of work. Has always done a lot of work talking to the uh, prospects and the academy kids, which are moving into that USL Pro team. So basically, CSN will have a hyper focus on the Canadian on the three Canadian uh, MLS reserve teams or second teams or USL teams. It's going to have to get that terminology down because not everyone's happy with it. But uh, the second teams, the two teams. Uh, but then on this show, we will do the rest of the league. And I think that that's enough banter about what we're doing. Let's just do it now, Kevin. Absolutely. I think the best way to do it, we get somebody from Charleston that's been covering the league for a decade. Charleston being the mainstay of the lower level of soccer in North America. I remember the impact used to play them often back in the NSL. Now they're in the USL. And it's interesting to see his difference of opinion because he he's in a standalone team towards to the two teams. So it's very interesting. Going. Yeah, Andrew Miller, he uh, writes for the Charleston Post and Courier. Uh, as he says, Kevin just said, he covered the team for 10 years. So let's just take a break now. Bring Andrew on. We're going to have that chat. Then we're going to come back. Kevin and I are going to run another interview that Kevin took from his time in Montreal this past weekend. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about some issues and wrap the show up for the week. And welcome back to our debut USL Radio edition here. Andrew Miller from the Charleston Post and Courier. The Charleston Post and Courier. I want to make sure I get that out there right. He has joined us. He's been covering the uh, Charleston Battery for 10 years. So he's the perfect person to bring on to talk a bit about where USL is today and a little bit about the game on Saturday. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, 
let's start. Let's touch on the game on the on the weekend uh, real quickly because it does have a lot of interest to the listeners up my way. Uh, it was the debut of uh, Toronto FC two, uh, the the reserve side or the USL side for Toronto FC. Uh, what was your overall perspective on the quality of the game and the and what the uh, the two team brought to the to the mix there on Saturday? Well, I, you know, I think if you're a Charleston Battery fan, I mean, you barely had time to sit in your seat and get a couple sips of beer, and you found yourself down two nothing within 15 minutes. The the first goal was uh, was a cracker. It was from distance, and I think it took not only uh, the, the fans by surprise, but Kind of the uh, the Charleston Battery defense by surprise as well. They kind of that, that was a shot from a good 25 or plus yards out, and I don't think anybody kind of expected that. So that kind of shocked everybody. And then uh, just an opportunistic goal to to put them up two nothing. And and then if you're a Charleston Battery fan, you're thinking, Gosh, golly gee, here I am. <laughs> I barely had time to you know munch on a couple of fries and have a couple sips of beer, and we're down two nothing, and not the uh, not the way that they wanted to start. And and to the batteries credit you know they didn't panic they didn't uh they 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 didn't do anything out of the ordinary they just kept to their systems uh Dane Kelly gets a goal uh, a little bit before halftime i think in the 38th minute and, and then they find uh, two goals uh in the second half off a of set pieces off a off a corner kick so uh you know, there's been some question going into the season. How is the battery going to score goals? Dane Kelly, obviously, is the focal point of that. He's been the striker there for going on now four seasons for the battery. He's been one of their top scorers, especially when he's fit and when he's healthy. Uh, he's one of the more dynamic guys in the league. But uh, are they going to get that secondary scoring from somebody else? I mean, that was the big question mark, I thought, going into the season. And, and, and they did it kind of through set pieces, uh, through two middle defenders, uh, getting the game winner right there in, in stoppage time from Taylor Miller, and then Sean Ferguson gets one at about the 57-58 minute mark there uh, to kind of tie things up. So, you know, for me, if you're a Charleston Battery fan, I think that's the biggest question that you got. You got where is that secondary scoring going to come from? I think your defense is solid despite what happened in those first 15 minutes because after that uh, – Toronto really had a tough time generating any kind of sustained possession and sustained attack. Um, so defensively, I, I still think they're pretty sound, but where are you going to get that secondary scoring from? Yeah, Charleston's one of the standalone teams in the league and a long-standing team in the the lower levels of, of American soccer. Uh, just You've been around that team for 10 years now. Uh, give our listeners that have never really been exposed to this level an understanding where Charleston is in terms of the local sporting scene down there and just kind of what, what level of strength this team has moving forward in year after year. Well, the USL has been kind of a conglomerate of a bunch of different leagues that have kind of come into, in, into the one umbrella league under the United Soccer Leagues. Uh, there is another league, the North American Soccer League. Uh, uh, actually, uh, a couple of the guys that play for the Battery who are mainstays uh, in their championship teams, the last two, Colin Falvey and Nicky Patterson, play for the play for Ottawa. Um, there is. I've talked to both those guys about the level of talent because uh, the NASL right now is considered the second division and the USL is considered the third division, although the USL is kind of applying for that second division status because they're now affiliated with Major League Soccer. And when I was talking with Nicky and, and Colin about it, about the talent level in the league as compared to USL, he feels like the NASL is a little bit more, uh, it's an older league, guys with a little bit more experience, 
but he doesn't think it's as fast as the league. He thinks there are younger legs, obviously because of affiliations uh, with the uh, MLS, which started a couple of seasons ago. Um, and I think eventually the USL is going to overtake the uh, NASL as the Division Two in United States soccer. I just think that affiliation with the MLS, even you know, even considering that the MLS teams are putting reserve teams in that league, I just think overall it's going to be the second tier uh, of soccer. And to me, the interesting thing that's, that we're going to have to see over the next three or four years is how many teams in MLS put reserve teams in the USL and how many teams go to straight affiliations? And because you guys are from Canada, you're probably all very familiar with this. I, I use the hockey scenario. How many teams are going to be you know, affiliated, like the American Hockey League is affiliated with the National Hockey League? How, how, many, how many of those scenarios are we going to see? And then how many scenarios are we going to see where the MLS is going to just put reserve teams in? And I don't know that, that the MLS has really made up their mind on what they want to do and what's the best business model you know it costs between two and three million dollars to field a reserve or a mls team in the usl and do you want to invest that much money or do you want to put five six guys in a usl team and have them affiliated with them and have them develop down there and i think that's going to really the usl and the ms the <laughs> major league soccer is really at a crossroads right now and it will be interesting to see which way they go and and i can't tell you I know there's a lot of feeling, strong feelings on both ways that the MLS should really kind of be more more affiliated based, and then there are MLS teams and MLS coaches and managers that just want to have their guys in the reserve league so they can have a, a kind of a closer eye on how they develop and how they're playing. But it'll be interesting to see over the next three or four years. Like you were saying, Andrew, we in in USL right now. There's teams like FC Montreal, Toronto two, Vancouver two, Seattle two, Toronto, uh, Portland two, LA two. A lot of two teams. Do you think there's going to be a divide or a certain rivalry between the two teams and uh, standalone team like the Charleston Batteries or uh, the the other teams like the Batteries and the Souls? I don't. I don't know that there'll be rivalries. I mean, geographically, like say, let's say Atlanta gets a team in the MLS, which sounds like that's going to happen, and, and they put a team, a reserve team, in USL. Then I think, yeah, maybe geographically that could happen. But the but the problem there, the main thing with rivalries is, are there going to be certain players that are going to kind of carry over year to year to year to year? And and that 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 to me, geographically, and that scenario, those kind of that's what kind of creates a rivalry to me because there are teams like Richmond and Charleston that have played each other forever. Uh, they have a nice little rivalry. Wilmington and Charleston have a nice little rivalry going. But I, I don't see USL teams having rivalries with the reserve teams in the MLS, the, you know, the Toronto FC2s, because I just don't think that there'll be enough. A, they're not geographically located near each other, and then B, there's just not enough carryover players that play from year to year. They kind of have grudges against guys and a history with other guys, and I just don't think that's going to be a rivalry per se. So, no, I, I don't think that will happen unless geographically you get teams closer together. Like, you know, you have Orlando and, and Atlanta, say, and then they can maybe have a, a little rivalry with Charleston. I can see that happening. Uh, I'll give you an example of what Montreal is doing with the league, and I'll ask your opinion about it after. Montreal is bringing a, a team of 20-year-olds on average. It's basically the same team they had in the PDL system in the last couple of months that's making uh, the big leap to USL. And yes, they're throwing the kids into the deep end, but eventually they'll learn to swim. What do you think of that approach to having forming basically an academy team for the USL? Yeah, I, and I agree with that. I, I think... Uh, the, 
the MLS teams have to figure out what's the best way to develop players, you know, for for, for their parent club, for the parent team. Is it going to be better for those kids to all play together in, in a system that everyone is familiar with? Uh, basically, you're pay- playing the same role uh, on that USL team that you'd be playing in the MLS. I-, I I don't know. I mean, again, I think this comes down to business model and what's your idea of development and how you want your players to develop. Because you're right, when you're playing eight, excuse me, when you're playing 18, 19, 20 year olds against guys for the battery who are 23, 24, 25, 26, you're you're basically playing boys or teenagers against men, and there's going to be that physical matchup that that those young guys just can't overcome. You might have one or two guys that are physically mature enough and mentally mature enough to play against men, but you're not going to have a whole team of 20-year-olds, 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are going to be physically and mentally able to to play against these guys. And and again, it just comes back to the MLS teams and and, and what's what is their theory? What is their, you know, how do they want to see their players uh develop? Do they care about results? Uh, do they care about keeping these guys together? Do they care about those guys playing the same role? And then on the reverse side of that, say you're sending four or five guys uh, from an MLS team to a USL team who's your affiliate, well, those aren't your coaches in the USL team, and they might not be playing the same system you're playing. And the prospect that they want developed, uh, say, at, at outside, you know, an outside defender but you got them playing inside, or you got them playing, uh, you know, on the wing in the midfield, or you got them playing up top. And so a role that he wouldn't, that you wouldn't have him pegged for in the MLS, you know, he's got a totally different role in the USL. And, and is, are you okay with that? I mean, those are the things that I think individual teams and individual managers and coaches they have to they have to figure out what they want to do and what works best for them and their uh, and their organization. Uh, Andrew, I think the second goal, uh, Charleston's second goal, the, the on Saturday sort of illustrates the difference in that physicality. Uh, you know, scramble in the box. Uh, the young keeper Alex Bono sort of was overwhelmed. A little bit of uh, contact that might have been called a foul at, an, at a younger age. Suddenly, the ball's right. in the back of the net, and 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 it sort of illustrates, I think, the problem that the two teams are going to have. Do you think that at the end of the day that? Uh, you know, when the the season shakes out, that it's going to be the standalone those older teams that are standing at the top of the heap, or do you think that the two teams will figure themselves out and and, and grow as the season goes on? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question. I think it's kind of too early, not to dodge the question. I think it's a little bit too early to to answer that because I haven't seen all of all the MLS you know uh, the teams that are down here yet. But I would think. You know, and, and and what I don't think that that people understand is, is it's not so much the physical grind, but it's the mental grind. I mean, these kids, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, they're going to be playing for an entire summer. There's travel involved, you know, there's training involved, and how are their bodies going to hold up against playing against guys who are you know bigger and stronger? That you know, there are two or three guys from the battery team uh, that, that are on their their international team. So I mean, you know, you know, they're getting kind of international experience as well. Um, the last time in 2001, and this was two, this was three championships ago, for the Charleston Battery in 2001, when they won the A League championship, you know, I will say right now that that team, while it couldn't have have won the MLS, I, I you know, it would have been in the upper middle part of the MLS, and that's the way that the Battery kind of recruited their players. That they were older, stronger, faster, had lots of international and pro experience, and you just don't realize how much, how huge of a factor that can be. Being a professional, knowing how to take care of your body, 
and act like a professional is sometimes as important as the talent that you have, the pace that you have, the, the ability uh, to pass and shoot and score and stuff like that. I think having knowing how to be a professional is as important as, as sometimes the, the skill level and the athletic ability that you have. I think so far, they, if you, from an MLS perspective, the great um, story, the, the best story they have is Dom Dwyer, who, of course, played most of his season for Orlando. I uh, ended up going back playing the championship game for Orlando and then and excelled for Kansas City, played in the, the MLS Cup final that year in the championship season. Do you think that having the chance to see guys that, that break out, that are young guys that maybe become MLS standouts is something that excites the uh, typical USL uh, fan? Is that something that's sustainable that can help grow that league? Well, yeah, I, I do think that. And to me, you know, you brought that example. The biggest example of a guy who excelled in USL and has now gone on just being, oops, I'm sorry, an absolute star in the MLS is Osvaldo Alonso, who played uh, for the Charleston Battery. I mean, I can't think of a guy who is uh, who who's come from the USL who's as as good or uh, well, Dwayne DeRosario too. I mean, he's he's obviously been a very good player in the MLS level too. But but uh, Osvaldo is a guy that I watched play the year that he was here, he you know, defected from Cuba, came here, nobody knew anything about him, and, and he has been absolutely, probably the premier holding midfielder in MLS for the last, at least two or three seasons, uh, and had he, you know, have, if, if Cuba ever lets him, you know, kind of get out of his Cuban citizenship and FIFA ends up, uh, you know, granting him an exemption, I mean, he would be your starting midfielder if you are on the U.S. national team at that holding midfielder position. So I think that, yes, that's something that, that USL fans can get behind. And, you know, oh, I knew him when he started here, you know, and that. And, and Lamar Nagel is another guy that, that plays for Seattle, that played here, that won an MVP, led the, led the battery to a championship, was in the MVP of the USL when they, when they beat Richmond for the USL 2 title uh, in uh, 2010, I believe. And, and, I mean, so those are already examples of players who have developed here in the USL and have gone on to bigger and better things in MLS. So, yeah, I, I think uh, fans in the USL get behind that, and I think that's what the MLS is looking for is to, to develop those kind of players. Andrew, can you tell the, the listeners how they can read your work? Well, you can read me at, at thepostandcourier.com. That's all one word, P-O-S-T-A-N-D-C-O-U-R-I-E-R.com. You can follow me at Twitter, at APMiller underscore at PNC. Right. Enjoy, enjoy your season. You can't be. A, I can't think of a better, better lifestyle than watching, watching soccer games in Charleston. That's a beautiful part of the country down there. It, it, it is beautiful, but it does get hot in uh, June and July and August. All right, our friend, you can come north and visit us then. All right, so thanks for your time today. <laughs> All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Andres. Thanks again for Andrew for taking some time uh, to be our first guest on USL Radio. Um, I, I was going to come out of this segment and do a little bit of a joke about how we we're going to talk about various radios and that are a USL format, but I don't know enough about the radio world. Um, I'm sure there probably is a podcast out there that does talk about literal USL radios, but if you've tuned into this one looking for that kind of talk, we're going to talk about soccer. Sorry, guys. Anyway, um, Kevin, uh what we're going to do now is, is Kevin was in uh, covered the Ottawa Montreal game, the uh, the exhibition game, the friendly game earlier this week. Uh, he had a chance. Uh, there was nothing friendly about it though. There was nothing friendly on the pitch about that game. Well, yeah, Ottawa and Montreal they they have a bit of a rivalry there. Andrew talked about rivalries. Well, that's a geographical rivalry that goes back a while. You've got a lot of good things on the on the plate there, and I do hope to see 
I would love to see Ottawa and, and Edmonton uh, start USL pro teams too and get them in this job here. We talked about it, about that on, on Two Solitudes today, but I think that that's your perfect next evolution of that and that would be a good I know USL has some very ambitious expansion plans they're, they're talking about 40 50 teams even way down the road so uh, there certainly should be room for, for more Canadian teams and more geographical rivalries like that but anyway we digress um Gavin you got some sound from a, a fellow that uh, Philippe is his first name and I'm gonna let you say the last name he's uh, head of the academy down there right yep Philippe Lafroix head of the academy and uh, coach of uh, the FC Montreal which is basically the top league of the academy, the uh, top team of the academy, and I think it's a very interesting approach to the USL itself. All right, we're going to run that clip now, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about how different teams in USL are approaching USL differently. So after your last preseason game, Philip, how do you think the team is going to fare off in one week from now? What do you take from today's game as at least one thing to bring to the future? That when we we are confident enough we can we can challenge any team I think in, in this league the problem is that we still we're still sometimes kids uh, that they have to grow up very very fast because the first let's say 25-3 minutes it was like kids against men and then when they realize that they can you know they can ch- challenge the men then now it's more interesting for us so what, what the thing the positive thing is that when they they took into, into consideration that they can challenge the, these type of guys technically and tactically. Then we can we can do something very interesting. So today we had the USL team versus an NASL team. Uh, there was a big size difference if you're looking at uh, Montreal compared to Ottawa. Montreal does have some big size players, but they were injured for this week. Yeah. Do you think this is going to be a problem in the future, or do you think maybe size is overrated for uh, in the soccer? Uh, size is overrated uh, definitely, and uh, for us it's. Uh, the talents, the, the physical aspect is is, is more than explosiveness uh, type of things, and, and and for us the the physical challenge doesn't exist if technique, if your technical abilities and tactical abilities are are, are are good, you don't need a physical challenge because you're always ahead of the game and and you have one seconds to do whatever you want, so you you can you can release the ball before the cha- the physical challenge come, and you can you can be uh, you can anticipate you can in- inter- make some interception of the ball. Then you don't really need a, t- a physical challenge. The challenge that you can maybe meet is in the air because if you you know if you five five uh, feet and the other uh, six uh, six, then you have a problem. But you know we we. we it doesn't mean we we don't want or we don't have physical very physical um, athletes we have, but but also you know we are, we, we we firmly believe that if your technical ability and tactical ability are good, physical aspect is secondary. So today against an, a- an ASL team Ottawa Fury, the goal was scored inside the first minute. So do you consider this game a zero zero or a one nothing loss? <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I, I think the, the, the Ottawa side will say it's a 1-0. You know, the side, we still say it's a 1-0 because, uh, again, if, if, if we're starting a, a, any of our game the same way we're starting this one, we're going to be into trouble. And instead, maybe of 1-0 will be 2-0. So it's a real 1-0. And, and, and we, did, we did not have a, a lot of opportunities, you know, maybe one. So it's not obviously, yeah, at the end. So obviously, it's not enough. Uh, even if it was zero zero, we didn't have any chance to score. So we have to 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 be a little bit more comfortable on the ball, you know, better on the pressure, and and 
we, we, we don't forget that you know uh, six months ago we playing uh, PDL with all of this group and and that hundred percent one hundred percent of the team is composed of academy players that you know the average is twenty years old so we know that we're gonna have, we're gonna face very big challenge at the beginning of the season. The thing is that we hope that they're gonna learn very fast, and after maybe a one two months, they're gonna be able to, you know, to look great like the last 25 minutes. I hope we're gonna see that during 90 minutes. So basically, we're throwing them into the deep end, but they'll learn to swim eventually. Exactly. Thank you very much, Philip. Looking forward to the season next week. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Philip. And it sounds like uh, there's a lot of excitement around this initiative in in the Montreal area. And and, and Kevin, I think that we're Toronto's more towards the impact model. But if you look at what the model of what other teams are doing in USL, even the two teams, and we're going to focus this, we'll put the standalone teams aside for a second and just look at the two philosophies. They're very different. I think Montreal is the extreme of the youth side of things. Uh, is that how you want would like to see this being approached? Actually, it is. Uh- like I said earlier, Montreal's been really performed really well in the last couple of years in the PDL. And it seems like they were a level above where they were playing. And I think now it's the exact opposite. They're coming to USL, uh, being humble and having a, a, a team and a squad that's composed entirely of academy product, really not approaching it as a reserve league for the impact, but more as a standalone team. And I think the, the name of itself, the FC Montreal, which is different than uh, Impact 2, it could have been. Uh, but I think it really represents the philosophy behind it. It's a be-all, end-all for the academy. Yes, there's going to be some good product of the academy that are going to move on to be part of the impact. But we all know that the percentage of that is about a handful of percentage a year that graduate to the first club. But at least having a team in the USL, it gives a professional environment a place to play that is really competitive and has some advantages to be winning in that league and going to gather its own fan support. So I think that's going to really help the development of the players in itself because it gives them the environment they need to uh, grow if that's the case or just to have a decent career as a professional there's not a shame of playing in the USL for 10 years. So uh, I think it's a great idea that way. Yeah. If, for those that aren't aware, like the, the FC Montreal lineup right now, it really is com- entirely academy grads. They have one guy from outside of, of Quebec, from outside of Quebec. I don't think they have anyone from Ontario. They might, but uh, they're all a couple, but there's a Swiss, there's a Swift Fabio Morelli who's uh, from Switzerland, but it's been part of the academy for a couple of years. Yeah, it's entirely local is what I'm trying to get at. They're, they're guys that have been involved in the impact system forever. There's not any draft picks there, right? Uh, no, no, not yet, no. Yeah, do you, do you anticipate that there will be some supplementary players sent down uh, to fill out the roster, or is this pretty much what it's going to be? That's what I was thinking, but I was expecting to see Jonathan Grant in the weekend, but he wasn't present. He was still with the big club practicing, so, so that tells me that Maybe they're going to treat USL separately, but who knows what the future has in store? Who knows? Because uh, we all know, we might think of it, there's no pressure of winning right now, but who knows what can happen if you're on a losing skid and one player from the big team is not playing enough so you can put him in your five players that can play in the USL. Uh, we'll see what happened then, but uh, the feeling I got is really that it's the academy's team. It's those group of players that have been together for years in the academy and in the PDL that finally have another system, another league to play in that's more competitive and that they can flourish more. Uh, yes, there's going to be a size difference, but with their technical, with their technical skills, eventually 
it's going to level up and who knows what can happen then. Yeah, for any new American listeners that we may have, you may not be aware that there is a quota requirement that the CSA has put forth for the Canadian or Canadian USL teams. Pardon me. Uh, that quota is that the 50% plus one of the roster must be Canadian. That's not really going to be an issue for any of the three teams. Just by the nature of it, they're going to mostly be local kids. Uh, but the more interesting part of that quota is that six of the 11 starters must be Canadian. Over the course of a season, there has been talk that they're not going to do it on a game-by-game basis. If there's a lot of injuries in one particular game or there's Canadian youth call-ups or something like that, they may allow for you know the odd game where they have to start eight foreign players or what have you. But uh, over the course of a year, that average is going to have to come out so that, that six of the 11 starters in every game were Canadian. So uh, that is a, a different a different thing that the Canadian teams are facing and one that we both on this show, on our on our other show especially, applaud because I think it's needed from a development standpoint. Um, Kevin, I, as I said, I, that's the extreme end of it. Uh, if you look at the middle ground end, is which I'm going to call TFC, mm-hmm. in terms of their development focus, they, they are playing some of the draft picks. And I did talk to Tim Bezbachenko earlier in the year when they announced the, the launching of the team up in Vaughn uh, and asked him directly whether he drafted with USL in mind. And his answer was absolutely 100%. Uh, he, you can listen to that on our Two Saltitudes feed. If you look back, you can hear that uh, raw clip of the scrum where I did ask him that question. And when you looked at TFC's lineup for uh, their first game against Charleston this weekend, you'll you'll note that the back line especially, well, entirely the back line, was uh, mostly, well, there's three of the three of the guys in the back, including the keeper, were from the NAS, uh, NASL, or sorry, the NCAA. I'm getting my N's and my acronyms mixed up here. Yeah, a lot of acronyms are USL, MLS, NCAA, NASL. That's a lot of acronyms. Yeah, four, four of the five guys at the back were, were college players. One of them was a Canadian college player, which is interesting, a CIS player uh, that, that was signed. Uh, the other three, but the three that are most interesting to me that I'm going to highlight here were the, the three uh, draft picks from TFC's draft this year. Uh, Simeon, uh, Sharpie, and Bono, uh, the keeper. Um, if you read my story on Canadian Soccer News, you'll know what I thought about the keeper's uh, debut. It was It was dreadful. Um, and this is something that I'm not going to pull punches in this show either. We are talking about professional athletes, young as they may be. Uh, they do need to be held accountable. And, and it really was not not good enough on the first game. I, I think that he was at fault for at least two of the three goals. And that's just not something you can, you can, you're going to want from a keeper, especially a keeper as highly touted as Bono is. Or Bono. I think they're going with Bono, not Bono. He's not you two here. <laughs> but I uh, know you're right, Dwayne. And I think it's uh, important for us to say this on the first show, too. We are going to treat the two teams just like the other standalone teams in the USL. So what it means is they're professional teams. They are accountable for for the result and their play on the pitch. And we're going to treat it as such as professional players going forward. Absolutely. Uh, so they did. That was how they approached the backline. It was highly draft oriented. There is, you know, a lot of thinking within the soccer world that you want your backline, your defenders, your keepers to be a little bit older. Although uh, Bono is a is a ninety four, so he's hardly old. He's only twenty. Um, but the front line, the attack line, which did come out and do look like they're going to be dangerous this year and do look like they're going to score a goal in USL, is entirely academy based for TFC. You have, well, I'm just looking at the breakout here. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other guys that started, and that includes. Uh, uh, Morgan, though, but six of the guys came directly from the academy to play in the USL, made their debut uh, yesterday, or had played for Wilmington last year. Um, uh, Ashton Morgan, of course, was uh, basically getting a conditioning stint down there uh, because he just doesn't play enough, and he probably will have to fill in for Morrow. 
uh, in Salt Lake next weekend. So he was getting a conditioning stint or, or may get a few more of them down there because he just doesn't get time from the first team. We all know who Ashton Morgan is if you followed CFC for a while. But that's basically the philosophy that we're going with here too. There's a big bulk of their skill player positions were young academy kids. A 17-year-old played in the second half. A lot of young guys there, and it really did show in the second half against Charleston where they were an older team. And as Andrew said, sort of the grind of that war on them, and they ended up losing that game 3-2 after they got the 2-0 lead. You compare that to Seattle, um, and I was looking at Seattle's lineup this year, and I think this is going to be an interesting sort of view. I think the Cascadian teams are going to put a higher amount of attention on winning right now and not just putting kids out there to sink or swim. And and that's going to be a really interesting thing to look at this year. You know, Dwayne, that in Seattle and Portland, you remember a couple of years ago, Seattle had 60,000 people for a reserve league game? Well, it's going to be the case sometimes for, for Seattle too. Just the fact that there's the offer and demand in Seattle, the offer doesn't meet the demand. With Seattle too, it bridged that gap and there is going to be a lot of pressure to perform because a lot of people are going to be in the stand. We're talking about 30,000 is going to be probably for the Seattle 2 games. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the development, how it affects the, the approach of the USL games on a Seattle point of view. Uh, Portland is going to be the same on a smaller level a little bit, but it's going to be still the same. And if Seattle does something, Portland needs to follow suit. That rivalry will trickle down to the USL and with Vancouver 2 being a third wheel saying, hey, I'm here. Come on. I'm here. I want to be part of this. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, well, Seattle's going to play most of its games at their secondary stadium, but they will pack that place, and they did pack that place for the first game. And certainly, I think if they're successful, you may very well see them uh, play play a game in the main stadium. But when I was looking at uh, the team, from the, and it's still young. I don't want to paint a picture of them being an being old or something like that but they're well, old in soccer terms they had experience that's different yeah they, they, it's coming on to the average age of the starters was 21.6 for seattle compare that to to toronto and it was 20.6 so a year difference in there and that's pretty considerable especially when you you, you know take the outliers out and just sort of look at the medium age uh toronto had uh just a quick count here seven guys that were 94s or younger or uh, six guys that were 94s or younger whereas uh, seattle only had two of them that fit that bill um, Toronto had um, their opening day starters, uh, four guys that came from college. That includes the Canadian college player. Uh, Seattle had eight guys that came from the NCAA. So that's a kind of a different approach in how we're, we're looking at these things here. In terms of pure homegrown twos, and I think this is an interesting one, uh, Toronto had eight homegrowns. I'm going to make sure I got that number right here. No, sorry, seven homegrowns. Uh, Seattle had two. So that's the difference in philosophy in how you're approaching this. They're, they're slightly older, slightly more experienced. They've been playing the NCAA, which is going to be a similar level. Probably those guys mostly play PDL, which certainly gives them an idea of traveling around and things like that. Whereas the Canadian guys, boom, they're coming from League One Ontario in many cases, which their long, largest road trip would be to Windsor or Kingston from Toronto, which is you know a three-hour drive uh, for Kingston and about a five-hour drive to Windsor, maybe a four and a half, whatever. Not very long anyway versus guys that are on planes. Uh, and that's a big difference, right? It, it absolutely is. Yeah. So as you said, though, and I think I'll end it with the, the conversation with this. I, I do think if you look at – let's go back to Montreal for a second. Montreal's not charging tickets for their games. Uh, that's an interesting choice and one that I'm not sure the USL League office is entirely happy with because I think they want them to be professional organizations and not be viewed as something less than that. 
Uh, Toronto FC is charging a very small amount. I don't think there's a lot being charged for those places like Portland and Seattle, but they're expecting big crowds there and they're really pumping it and marketing it and marketing it as its own initiative to try and get crowds out there. There's a lot more media attention. So that has an inherent pressure to win, to win now. And I don't know whether winning now is the best for development in all cases if it affects how you make your lineup choices. Winning is part of development especially at this age. Absolutely at this age it is. I remember talking to um, Mike Stefano from the TFC Academy last year many times about this and how he would say, you know, don't ignore the wins and losses because at this level when we're trying to get them to professionals, we need to be winning. We need to be putting into practice, win to, or practice to win at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So let's not ignore that. But if it's affecting your lineup choices, then maybe it is. So it's just, I'm not saying Seattle and Portland and all these guys are wrong. I'm not. But I'm saying it's something to watch. Yeah, it will, they, they're all on the same playing field. So the three philosophies that we described today are, are going to play each other on the field. And at the end of the day, at the end of the year, what's fun, there's a table. And we'll be able to see and quantify who was the best and who had the best result from the start till the end and what happened in between. And that's why I, I'm really more, almost more interested in what's going to happen in the USL than anything else this year. Yeah, it certainly is very interesting. Uh, you know, you add the third part of that in there, and the fourth part, if you if you wish, and that's the Charlestons of the world, the standalone teams, exactly. And they represent their own community, and they they have no other initiative other than to well, they may want to sell a player on or to see one of their players graduate to a higher level, but primarily their their motivation and their focus is about winning. So it's going to just be a fascinating watch. It's like a little experiment that's getting thrown in, and I think it's going to be a lot of excitement uh, for for those that uh, that like that kind of thing. If you don't know, uh, you can watch all the games for free on YouTube too, guys. I don't know how many people don't realize that now, but you can. So this is a league that's really accessible, that is inexpensive when they are charging tickets. I think they're about $10 each in Toronto and, and Vancouver. They're free in Montreal. That's you can't get much more accessible than that. I guess you have to get the Metro up there, right? Uh, yeah, but that's a, just a small ask. Yeah, so there you go. All right, um, let's wrap up for now. And uh, as I said, we'll... We'll be doing this weekly. Uh, attached on Mondays probably we'll, we'll end up getting out. Most Mondays is the date that we're looking at, right, Kevin? Absolutely. Okay. Kevin, say goodbye. All right. So you can join us, USLSoccerRadio at gmail.com. If you want to be part of the show, if you want to email us with your opinion of the show, just let us know. Or on Twitter, at USLRDIO, USLRDO. And until then, uh, have a great soccer, people.